Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Community IT Podcast. My name is Carolyn Woodard. I am the Outreach Director for Community IT, and I'm here today with Matt Eshelman, who is our Chief Technology Officer, and he wants to tell us a little bit more about AI and what's happening with artificial intelligence in the nonprofit space. So, Matt, take it away. Yeah, well, thanks, Carolyn. It's good to have another conversation with you, and especially on this topic, which seems to be unavoidable here uh, in 2023 is kind of the <laughs> the topic that everybody's um, discussing. So um, what's on my mind recently is just, I think, understanding the full pace of adoption of these AI tools. And what really struck me was that, you know, the realization that ChatGPT reached 100 million active users in a period of two months. So, I mean, that's why we're all talking about it. It, you know, AI was, you know, kind of around, I mean, I took an AI class in college 20 years ago, um, but this year it went from, you know, basically zero adoption to a hundred million users had access to an AI, a generative AI tool in a period of two months, which is just kind of staggering by, you know, by comparison, TikTok um, took nine months and Instagram took two and a half years to get to that same level of user um, adoption. And so it's just really stunning just how fast that that's occurred. And I think that's part of the reason why it's everywhere. You know, <laughs> everybody's using it and it's true. Yeah, I my my son had to get put a summary of his resume together. And so, yeah, we just put it into chat GPT like day before yesterday. And, you know, he worked on the summary from their draft of it, but it was, you know, it's a good skill for him to know how to use as well. The young people today will be using it. So um, I know you said that you recently went to a Microsoft uh, training on AI and kind of like what's coming at Microsoft. What were your impressions or, um, you know, realizations at that training? Yeah. I mean, I think the the big thing to realize that you know, AI, I think is phenomenally expensive to develop and to to operate. And so, you know, one of the big investments that Microsoft has made in AI is just making, you know, the Azure platform available for these, you know, particularly chat GBT or open AI to run their models and learn. And so it's incredibly compute intensive to, to generate all of this stuff. We're really disconnected from that, you know. As a user, if you're paying twenty dollars a month, you don't see that. But it's it's really expensive to develop. Um, I think Microsoft and the other big players um, really have an incentive to encourage adoption and get corporations and enterprises and you know governments to use their platform. And so I think they have a real incentive to make people feel comfortable using the tools and putting information into the systems. And so. Uh, I think the big players, again, have um, good adoption guidelines. I think they're trying to be very transparent about their, you know, the ethics and and how these systems, um, you know, are, are developed. Again, providing some maybe legal cover for the output that's generated by the tools. And so I think there's a real incentive for for corporations to, to make people feel comfortable using that. Um, and then I think the other thing to, to understand is that while... Yes, ChatGPT reached 100 million users in two months. 
you know, the, the real promise of AI being available to everybody, you know, in business to help you, you know, generate your PowerPoint or, or analyze your spreadsheet um, is still a little ways off. So while it is true that Copilot, which is Microsoft's kind of enterprise add-in was available on November 1st, that was really only available to enterprises. You had to have a minimum order of 300. And so as a organization, you know, that works with small and mid-sized nonprofit organizations, that Copilot is not available to us right now. There are some other things that we can use, um, but but kind of the big Microsoft tools are not available to the small to mid-sized organizations as of um, as of yet. Can you talk a little bit more about what Copilot is compared to a lot of Microsoft tools have AI within them, you know, summarizing this or, you know, giving you a transcript of that. So how is Copilot different? Um, and I'm not sure I even have all of the the um, branding and acronyms and services down correctly, but Copilot kind of in general is Microsoft's enterprise AI that protects an organization's um, data that they have. Um, and so while the Copilot has been informed by the large language learning models and um, you know has kind of built up its expertise through these other tools, it is not um, exposing your information or your requests back into those platforms. And so it's a little bit of a self-contained environment. So Microsoft kind of talks about how uh, in Copilot, if you're making a request, the request is first grounded in your organization's you know, identity and access management roles. It looks at the permissions that you have, the files and the data that you have access to. Then it normalizes that, sends it out, gets feedback. You know, recontextualizes it and then provides a response. So it's you know AI for the corporate world that includes some um, you know permission controls and uh, additional context enhancements. Understanding that you know you're kind of doing this work for an organization um, as opposed to just you know at, making these requests on your own. It's funny because I know when we um, do webinars and talk about like migrating your files, we talk a lot about like knowing what you have and maybe getting rid of files that are really old. But I think this product, right, can like plumb the depth of maybe your records and files that you have going back years and get more insights from that potentially um, within that, you know, pond, like self-contained to your data. Yeah. And I think for organizations, one of the best things that you can do now is to, you know, if you haven't already start with that data inventory, understanding what data you have, what systems is it in, where might you have um, that sensitive information, that person identifiable information, and then make sure you've got the appropriate permission models in place to ensure that only people who need to have access to that data actually do have access to that data. Right. I think, you know, a, a number of years ago, Microsoft had maybe an early uh, version of, you know, maybe they weren't calling it AI, but there was a platform called Delve, which I really liked, but it was great because it would surface information about colleagues that you worked with, what files were they working on? And unless you had good permissions in place, right, it would surface information like, oh, your boss is working on, you know, updated salary plan. And so while maybe that was hidden by obscurity, you know, with some of these tools, right, they surface stuff. And unless the permission models in place to say, oh, like these people have access to this information, you know, the AI tool is going to get, have access to whatever you give it access to. And so, um, 
I think we need to be intentional about putting up guardrails to say, okay, well, we need to have these good permission structures in place so that we don't, you know, inadvertently end up surfacing uh, information that we would rather keep private. Right now, it's kind of hidden by obscurity, but you know, these AI tools are going to be able to, you know, really cut through a lot of that, um, and they will ad- adhere to the permission models that exist, but. Uh, you know, I think many organizations have rather lax permission models and, uh, you know, they're going to find, find out things that they weren't quite uh, ready for. <laughs> um, I know we were just recently at a conference and a lot of people were talking about the potential of automation um, as we were talking about, like with records or with reporting, reporting on um, grants, for example, a foundation might want to do um, automated reporting. Um, so do you, can you talk a little bit about maybe the applications of AI that could be automated that would be really interesting to nonprofits and even nonprofits of the size that we work with? So under that 300. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's certainly lots of potential for what AI can do and can automate. And I think, you know, you know, taking an initial step back, you know, when I started at community IT over 20 years ago, you know, we did a lot of things manually, you know, uh, and our case for managed services was automating the things that we used to do manually, right. Running disk cleanup, installing software, running system updates, you know, performing system maintenance. That used to be something that, you know, it was part of my scheduled task. I would like go around to all the computers and run updates and do cleanup and clear out internet history and all of that stuff. Um, and then we got a tool that allowed us to automate that um, and then save a lot of time. Um, and so, you know, I think in the same vein, and maybe this is, a, you know, completely uh, evolutionary, the, the capacity that AI is going to give us to, but it certainly is you know, helping us to automate and improve the work that we do and be more efficient in that. So I think right now organizations are really going to benefit from some of the stuff that maybe seems a little mundane. Like a lot of the use cases that I heard were around, um, you know, things like using the, you know, AI tools to create meeting summaries with action notes and emailing that out uh, after a meeting. And as somebody who's in a lot of meetings, but is not really good at taking notes and being reminded of what I need to do, like, yeah, like the use of that kind of a tool is really helpful because it gives me capacity that I didn't have before. Again, we need to be clear that if you're in a meeting with somebody and you're you're recording it, right, that's visible. Uh, You know, you may want to choose to not record some conversations. Um, But again, so I think taking steps to automate some mundane tasks that we're not doing right now is a great place to start. Um, I think in our world uh, of a little bit of that scripting and automation and programming, I think that's one where there's real clear demonstrable um, benefits for programming and development. You know, these AI co-pilots that can help write code and and give us a foundation to stand on um, are really great. So again, if you're you know doing some API integrations or you need to write some code, to help manipulate data, I think that's a great, you know, a great place to start. Um, you know, I think as you identified, you know, getting a leg up or or dumping some ideas and getting some content templates just to kind of get started, I think that's a great place to start. Um, and I think organizations, you know, really do benefit from identifying a couple of specific use cases that they want to try out and just explore, you know. Um, 
figure things out, work with it, experiment, see how it works. What are the benefits? What are any drawbacks? How do you want to change it? Um, and so I think this is a real time for exploration right now to identify um, you know, how these tools can really help us be more efficient and, and give us hopefully back more time to focus on the things that are most important to us or the only we can do um, in our work. I want to pick up on two things that um, you made me think of. Um, one is you alluded to the importance of having policies. So um, both to understand like what AI tools you're using, but also like you said, the permissions, um, the implications of, well, we're going to have this AI um, tool that can, you know, show these things, um, making sure that the people who have access to that, um, that that's all in your governance documents and that you have a policy over those permissions. Um, and I think also I just like having a little bit of skepticism about all of these tools. I know for years now I've been seeing advertising for AI tools to help you fundraise better. And you kind of have to think about the data, right? If you don't have good data in your database already on your donors, then having an AI tool, you know, tell you when to email people better, if that's not the right email address for them to begin with, then you still have a problem. Like a lot of it is management issues and data issues more than, um, you know, being able to just hand it over to an AI tool to help you do it better. So you've got both, both things going on. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about maybe the darker side of, of automation. And um, I'm definitely seeing more tailored like phishing emails and, uh, you know, attacks on like Facebook Messenger. And they seem to be very personalized, but you still can kind of feel that maybe that's an AI tool that the hacker is using to try and get you to think that it's uh, legitimate. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think your point is exactly right. I mean, I think the AI tools that we use to help us, you know, get a jump start on some marketing material or, you know, help to write our resume or even help develop our policy are the same things that um that these threat actors can use as well um in order to start those engagements with the ultimate goal of having some sort of um, you know, wire fraud or financial uh transaction. So, yes, like these these are tools and they're going to be used by people, you know, you know, raising money and advocating for, you know, positive causes. And then I think they're also going to be used by threat actors who are going to, um, you know, use them to craft more creative and convincing emails. And so I think some of the old things that we used to rely on to say, oh, well, if it's like a poorly worded email, like that's a great giveaway. And if it's well-written, okay, you can have confidence in it. You know, I think that's, you know, we need to evolve along with it to recognize that you could put in a prompt to say, hey, write me a good email <laughs> that's going to get somebody to click on this link. Um, and and that's going to, you know, you know, be a prompt that the AI tools will respond to. So, um, yeah, so I, I think there is a little bit of an escalation of how these tools can be used both for positive things and also how, you know, these tools can be used for for also not so positive purposes. I'm sure there will be AI tools that can scan your emails to look for other AI, you know, phishing attempts out there that will get better and better at spotting them. Um, could you talk a little bit more to wrap up about what we're seeing coming um, for nonprofits? Like what, what can we expect in the next year or two around AI tools for nonprofits? Yeah. So I think, you know, as we said, you know, Microsoft is, is I think really the leading player in the AI space. I think Google and, 
you know, is, is, is coming along as well. But I think Microsoft really is the player here because of their tremendous resources and investment in the enterprise. Um, so I think, yes, while Copilot was available generally November 1st, you know, that was only for the enterprise customers. I do think that that will make it to the small to mid-sized organizations in 2024 sometime. Um, and so that would be the co-pilot that would be integrated in office and kind of be a part of those demos that I think everybody's seen online. I think right now, um, nonprofit organizations that have Office 365 accounts already have access to what I would call the enterprise version of chat GPT. And so if you go to um, chat.bing.com, uh, you will go to what is called Bing Chat Enterprise, which is flagged as AI-powered copilot for the web. And so that would be a protected version of ChatGPT. So the the comments or the, or the requests that you make and the content that's returned to you is, is private. And so I think if you're starting off um, with adopting, you know, looking at AI tools and kind of what can this do, like, that's a good place to start. Um, but I think that'll certainly become more widely available um, as organization, you know, as, as you kind of go throughout the year. So I think that's the place to start. I mean, I think the, the big pieces are that kind of content generation um, is, is starting out now and is really easy to adopt. Um, and then I do expect, you know, those co-pilot add-ins for, you know, Excel and PowerPoint and kind of all of that stuff will become more widely available to organizations later on in 2024. I feel like I'm expecting also that just as cybersecurity was prompting insurance companies to prompt organizations to kind of up their game and and know um, how they were keeping themselves safe and like do some of those assessments and audits and making sure they had security on all their accounts. I feel like um, AI is also going to, things are going to happen as it evolves that are going to prompt organizations to put those policies in place and develop those governance um, documents as well. So I, I expect to see that over the next year too. Yeah, I think for sure, as I, you know, as I said, I think um, setting those expectations, the data inventory, the, the, you know, permissions, it's really boring work, uh, but that governance piece and the planning piece and the intentionality is just so important. Um, I think to set up organizations for much greater success later on. And so if you can have a good foundation that really helps to define some of those expectations for the organization early on, it gives you a you know much safer, much stronger place to operate from and then adopt some of the new tools that are going to come out. Right? I mean, like, were we talking about chat GBT in January of 2023? Like, I don't know. I wasn't. So uh, who knows what's going to happen in you know January of 2024. And so uh, I think just being um, being open and and having a good foundation in place will really help the adoption of these tools. You know when they come when they become available. Thank you so much for chatting about this with me today, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, my hope you know is that we can really use these AI tools to you know help build bridges between those towers of knowledge that we couldn't figure out on our own. Um, you know, I think there's lots of really smart and thoughtful people that are are doing a lot of good work in this area. And so I think it's important to, you know, read and understand and just kind of process and be open um, to what's, 
you know, to, to what everybody is saying as part of the conversation. So, um, you know, I really hope that that AI can be an enabler of technology to help us, you know, shape our world into what we want it to be. And, and not just a way for corporations to reduce that value of our, our individual creativity, but, um, I'm optimistic about, uh, you know, about the technology and the benefits that we're going to receive from it. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders. And you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.